You're listening to The Sigrun Show, episode number 325. In this episode, I talk to Mark Schaefer about how to humanize your marketing for business success. Welcome to The Sigrun Show. I'm your host, Sigrun, creator of Samba, the MBA program for online entrepreneurs. With each episode, I'll share with you inspiring case studies and interviews to help you achieve your dreams and turn your passion into profits. Thank you for spending time with me today. Building an online business takes time. I share with you proven strategies to help you get there faster. You'll also learn how to master your mindset, up-level your marketing, and succeed with masterminds. On today's episode, I speak with Mark Schaefer, who is an author, speaker, podcaster, and business consultant as one of the top five marketing blogs in the world. He teaches graduate marketing classes at Rutgers University and has written seven best-selling books. Mark has been on the podcast before, talking about his previous book, Known. And now he's back with his latest book, Marketing Rebellion, which is already a global bestseller. Before we dive in, I want to share a review from Apple Podcasts from Susanna Lopez from Norway. Sigrun's podcast is so inspirational. As an entrepreneur myself, I find her content very helpful, always encouraging us to move forward, but also with excellent tips and new ideas on how to improve your message, target, and sales. I totally recommend to listen and learn. Thank you, Susanna. I would also appreciate if you left a review on Apple Podcasts and maybe you'll hear your name mentioned in an upcoming episode. Go to sigrun.com forward slash 325 there you'll find links to Mark Schaefer and the show notes of this episode. I am so excited to have Mark Schaefer back on the Sigrun show. He was one of my very first guests. Actually, he was my very first guest, and that was over 300 episodes ago. And now he's back with another book. So that's how fast it can go between two books. Thank you for coming on the show, Mark. 300 episodes. What took you so long to invite me back? <laughs> I had to wait for another book. Ah, all right. So now I know. I just I have to keep writing books. That's the key. I think that's what you have to do. Well, I read in your book and also heard you say in your talk that you never planned to write a book. Well, that's absolutely true. And I know that seems strange. Since I've written seven books over the last 10 years, that's pretty consistent. But um, I don't know how anyone really can plan to write a book or force to write a book. I suppose if you're a novelist and you can have endless sort of uh, plots, that might be a way to do it. But when you're a business writer like I am, I think I have a reputation that I don't I don't waste anybody's time. <laughs> so if you read my blog or listen to my podcast or read my books, you'll know that it's going to be worth your time. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be relevant. It might even be a little entertaining. But when you put it down, you'll say, wow, I, I really got a lot out of that. There's no fluff. So that's hard to do. And Sigrun, writing a book it's also a huge personal commitment. It's really a family commitment because for months at a time, I'll just sort of be locked away. <laughs> and it takes a lot of discipline and it takes a lot of sacrifice. So I have to be sure. I have to be absolutely sure 
that this is the right topic at the right time, that I just buy into it because you have to work so hard. I, I mean, it took two years of research and writing to write this book. And then after the book is out, it takes a lot of work to sort of put together some promotion. So it is a major, major project. And it's not something, at least for me, I can't force it. I can't plan it. It just has to be very, very organic. And I just have to be on fire with the idea or it just can't happen. So I don't know if I'll be on fire ever again. (laughs) (laughs) I'll bet there will be another book, but... There could be some sparks out there, but they're just sparks at this point, I think. Yeah. So what drove you to write that book? There was a problem you saw. What was the problem? Well, there was this undeniable theme that everywhere I went, people were telling me that they were stuck, that they were just falling behind, that their marketing wasn't working like it used to. And there was a, there was a tipping point where I was asked to facilitate this meeting of all these chief marketing officers. It was like an invitation-only kind of meeting where people could relax and talk about what was on their minds. And I was sitting around this table And these were well-known people from huge companies. And they were talking about the issues in their businesses and in their lives that they were struggling with. And they all went around the table and they said, we're falling so far behind, every single person. And I just thought, how is that possible? You've got all the resources in the world. You've got millions of dollars in budget. You're working with the best advertising and marketing agencies. And I'm hearing this from nonprofits, from startups, from entrepreneurs, from hospitals, from universities, everywhere I go, people are saying the same thing. So my original theory was that people were falling behind because technology was moving so fast. That was kind of the original idea of the book. Yeah. And as, as I started digging into it, I realized I was wrong. It was more than that that the technology had sort of moved away from us, but more important and more profoundly, our customers have moved away from us. I mean, there's literally a point as I was immersing myself in this research that I I sort of lost my breath. I thought, look at this. I don't know what it means to be a marketer anymore. All these things that I've held onto for the last 30 years in my career, they're just gone. They don't work that way anymore. I've got to figure this out. What does it mean to be a marketer today? And that's the new book. (laughs) Just a little subject, a little topic. Yeah, yeah, tiny topic. Tiny topic. (laughs) Only took two years to uh, uncover. What was the tipping point where you said it's not technology It's something to do with our customer, with our clients. They moved away from us. Well, I was involved in a consulting project for a customer. And I was specifically looking at research about how the digital natives are different today and their expectations are different today. But when I got into the research, I saw a lot broader implications there and specifically there was a report written by Accenture in 2016 that basically said loyalty is dead 
Loyalty is over. It's a waste of time spending your money on loyalty. It's like, what? What? But Sigrin, it, it wasn't just that report. It was from McKinsey. It was from Deloitte. It was from Boston Consulting. It was right there, right in our faces. And nobody was sharing it? Yeah, everybody just keeps doing what we've been doing. And this research, it's just undeniable. But we've ignored it because it means, I mean, the changes are profound. And when I thought about what this meant to this book I was writing, I, I was very, very nervous because I thought, if I write about these changes and I write about all these things, people are going to be very uncomfortable with this. Are they going to like the book because they're so uncomfortable? But I always let the truth write the book. I sort of start out with a hypothesis, but every time I write a book, my original hypothesis is not the way the book ends up because I let the research and the facts drive the book because I, I, I want my book to be unassailable. I don't want anybody to say, oh, this is Mark Schaefer's opinion. He's wrong. I want people to read this book and say, this is the way the world is because of these, these facts and this research. So that had a profound impact on me. And it, it was gut-wrenching to write this book. It really was. But my fears sort of went away because I'm sure some people may not like the book. There might be a backlash. But nearly everybody is saying, you know, we see this happening too. We knew this was happening. We could feel it. We just couldn't put a name to it. And you nailed it. And it's really had a big impact on people. It's already changing people's businesses and their lives, which is so rewarding. Yeah. So basically you confirmed what they were thinking, but they hadn't dared to act on. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you go to work every day and you're paid to do a job and most people aren't really paid to think about the future and where things are heading. And this change in the consumers has happened so fast because they've been enabled and empowered by technology. And so when I was a young guy growing up in business, I think it's accurate to say that businesses did control the message. If consumers before the internet, before social media, wanted to learn about our, our products, interact with our company, they didn't have any choice but to see what we were promoting, to see our marketing messaging. But now, like everything else in the world, the power has shifted to consumers. The voice, the influence, the power has shifted to consumers. So all these things I grew up with, like the sales funnel, gone. Loyalty, gone. The power has shifted from our businesses to consumers. And two-thirds of our marketing is occurring without us. And a lot of times when people hear that statistic, they're first sort of like, what, what, what? But then when you think about it, you say, yeah, that's right. That's how it works in my life. <laughs> yeah. There was one piece of research in there that was just absolutely stunning. It was actually specifically a B2B piece of research that they traced all these customer journeys. And the conclusion was they were unable to find one piece of evidence that showed any marketing effort had an impact 
on these customer decisions. <laughs> <laughs> so is marketing a waste of time? No, marketing is still essential, but it requires a new mindset. So the, the fact of the matter is today is that our customers are the marketing department. People don't believe our businesses. And, and I want to say something here because I'm guessing that many of your listeners are, are hearing me for the first time. And there's something that I emphasize in every talk, in every book, that, that the things that I'm saying are not absolute. There are, there, it's, it's, every business is different. And I never tell a business what to do because you're the experts in, in the business. All I do in this book is say, hear how thing, our things are changing. Some of these things are probably changing for you, if not all of them. And here are ways to adjust. Pick the one that's right for you. Uh, so there are no absolutes. I, I, so, so people listening today are, might be thinking, well, wait a minute, people are, are loyal to me, and, and they are. Uh, at least 13% of our customers are loyal to us on average. Um, but, but the idea of loyalty and the idea of the sales funnel is changing dramatically. Even new research from Google that came out last fall, they said even people who are searching online there are no two customer journeys alike, even when they're searching for the same thing. There's no funnel. Even this is even coming from Google. So we, we, we just need to be aware and be smart and be up to date as business leaders and make smart decisions about how to adjust to these changes. So my book is, is basically saying, you know, here's the wake up call. Let's look at the world as it really is, and let's be smart about it. Let's adjust to it. Let's not just keep doing what, we're, what we've always done because day by day by day, that's becoming obsolete. Hmm. You start off the book and also in your talk with uh, how the industry has changed, you know, marketing yeah. in terms of lies and secrets. Can you share that a little bit with my audience? Well, that was sort of an epiphany to me because um, I was, as I was, as I was writing this book, I was also doing a tremendous amount of reading and doing a tremendous amount of research. And I came across this little story that um, it showed that the first uh, television remote was created in 1950. When television was just starting, it was a wire that went to the back of the TV with a clicker that when the commercials came on, you could click to the next channel. And, I, and, it, and it just had this profound impact on me. I just thought that was so poignant that as soon as there was a new way to show ads, the first innovation was a way to get around it. And I just thought that was poignant, that it represented this battle that has been going on since the beginning of marketing, since the beginning of advertising, that when we do anything that interrupts, intercepts, and abuses our customers, they figure it out and they get around it. And we see it happening now with ad blockers. And so this rebellion that's happening in this incredible way it's, one, it's completely consistent 
with consumer behavior for 100 years, since the beginning of advertising. They just won't take it. They will not stand for it. And they always win. So there's, there's a historical lesson there to say consumers are coming to our door. They're marching at our door, holding this big sign that says, respect me. And I, I took this very unusual um, step that if you buy uh, the, the paper version of my book or you see the Kindle version of the book, when you open up the book, there's not a title page. There's a picture of a crowd and a young woman holding up a sign that says, respect me. I had it photoshopped. <laughs> so there wouldn't be any licensing problems. But, uh, but I wanted to, to create this statement. Someone asked me, Mark, what's the point of this rebellion that you talk about? And I said, I said, in my mind, the consumers are just saying, we've had it. Stop. Just stop it. Respect my life. Respect my freedom and my time and my privacy. Why are you doing this to me? And Sigrun, I feel that every single day in my life with, you know, you, you get robocalls and you get spam that's just sucking up your time and your attention. And why, why does anybody think that's a good marketing practice? And we just have to stop it. We have to stop it. We have to learn these lessons from history. We have to listen to our customers. And we have to come alongside them and create marketing that helps them belong to something and believe in something. They want to be loved. They want to be acknowledged. Just listen to what your customers are saying. These are things that haven't changed. And just listen to where your customers are and, and, and look at how your business can come alongside these people. And, and how can you reinforce them and reward them, the people who are loyal to you and the people that, that love you? Stop, cheat, stop trying to you know, sell them and change them. Come alongside them and, and, and help them. It's, it's a, it, it takes a different mindset to get into that two-thirds that are your marketing department. You can't buy your way in. You can't shout at them. You have to come alongside them and say, we're here with you. Hmm. So in the book, you talk about lies and secrets, uh, you know, in the marketing industry. Uh, I, I was fascinated by that faces, uh, these three faces that you identified. So what are the three, three faces? Well, when marketing and advertising <clears throat> first started, it was sort of the mid 1800s. Uh, here in in America, and it sort of spread to other places in the world pretty quickly as well. And um, back then, marketing and advertising were sort of the same thing. They were interchangeable. The word marketing was being used in the 1880s. And so what was advertising? It was a remarkable promise. So then when your competitors started advertising, their promise became even more remarkable. And then you would make yours even more remarkable until it became a lie. It was just, it was lies. And there was some, uh, there was an investigative report done by a magazine. There was a, actually, it was 11 articles talking about how dangerous 
these advertising claims were. And they tested different products to show not only did they not work, but in some cases they could hurt you or kill you. And so there was this big outcry. The government responded by creating laws that made it uh, a crime to lie to consumers. So the consumers responded and they, and they, you know, this, they held signs that says, stop lying to me. And the government created these laws. So that was sort of the first rebellion, the end of lies. The second rebellion was the end of secrets because even when I was in business, you made money on what people didn't know. <laughs> and you could have different prices for different people based on what they didn't know. What business was what you could get away with. <laughs> and um, so when the internet began, then all this information transferred from our companies and our organizations and our governments down to the people. And now a consumer walking onto a car lot or buying a vacation or buying insurance had more information than the person selling it. So the second rebellion was, was there, there are no secrets. There are no more secrets. We can't fool people with our secrets. And the consumer said, I don't want, you know, if, if, if I demand transparency and if you're not transparent, I'm going to call you out. So the power is with the consumers now. This led to where we are today, which is the third rebellion. And that's the end of control. And the consumers, again, they're, now they're saying, respect me. I am not part of your sales funnel. Stop trying to change me. Stop trying to manipulate me. I can make up my own mind. I'm in control. I have all the information, the accumulated knowledge of the human race in the palm of my hand. Stop trying to tell me I should buy your whatever because it's lemon scented or whatever. I'll make up my own mind. And so that, is, that presents a really different challenge for marketers today. We have to, you know, we have to come from a place of respect. We have to give up our power and respect the power of consumers and acknowledge that they're in control. And that is, that's, that is really hard to do, but it's, it's what it's going to have to take uh, to win today. And, all, and, and, and by the way, I want to make this a, a point to your, to your listeners. Small businesses have a big advantage here because you know, you are the business. You can make these changes. You probably know these human needs of your customers. You probably see them every day. It's gonna be really hard for these gigantic companies to make these shifts. The, the world is wide open right now for small businesses and entrepreneurs. Mm, yeah, that's very true. And actually the example that you brought up both in your book and your talk at Social Media Marketing World, was uh, the example of the soap. Yeah. So maybe you want to share that with my listeners too, because I think it shows the power of a small business versus a big business in these types of changes. Well, it was a personal lesson that was very profound for me, uh, to be sure. And I used the example of... Um, there's a very, very famous soap product made by Procter & Gamble called, called Ivory Soap. It was the first soap that was ever advertised. And 
in the 1960s, ivory soap had like 50% market share. And today is below 3%. In fact, Procter & Gamble is talking about getting rid of it. It used to be such an important, iconic brand. But it's not just ivory. It's all of these big name products that we grew up in on that were built on advertising. All these brands and all these companies that were built on advertising, they're going away. And one of the reasons is we don't see ads anymore. I, you know, I watch TV all the time, but I watch it on a streaming service like Netflix, no ads. I love music. Music is a big part of my life. I listen to music all the time. I never hear ads because I hear us listen to a streaming service like Spotify or something like that. No ads. I, I'm a news junkie. I read news all the time. I don't see ads. One third of Americans have ad blockers on their smart devices. So if you're building a business based on advertising, you need to wake up because people are not seeing those ads anymore. And if they see them, they don't believe them. And even if you look at Facebook, Facebook is, is the Facebook, not the company because they own Instagram and WhatsApp and a lot of other things, but Facebook, the social media platform in, in some parts of the world is in dramatic decline. And the only demographic that's having growth on Facebook that is seeing more ads is 55 and over. All right, so unless you're selling specifically for 55 and owner, over, even your ads on Facebook are being seen less and less and less. Uh, in the last couple of years, they've lost millions of, of viewers, uh, millions of consumers, specifically the younger people. So it sort of portends, it shows this trend that I'm talking about is happening. So to complete the story, I kind of went on some tangents there. I, 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 was, I was just reading about how all these big brands were dying and how the, how the advertising agencies were dying because they depend on the big brands. <clears throat> and I was over at my friend's house, a young couple, and it was a, a lovely <clears throat> summer night. And I went into their, into their restroom or if in your, in your Europe, Europe, the WC or whatever you call it. And so they had on their sink there, they had this, this handmade soap. And uh, it, it was this you know, beautiful soap and it smelled good. And it was from a, a local company that made this with, by, by hand with, with their own employees in their, in their local community. I had just been reading how these brands, these big brands were dying. So I asked my friend, why did you buy this soap? All these companies have been spending millions of dollars on advertising and you bought this soap from this company that's never taken out an ad ever. And she said, well, I don't know if I love this brand, but I love the hands that made it. And she went on to tell me about how awesome this company was, how they were involved in the local community, how they were trying to treat their employees so, so well. And they were trying to create a sustainable business and use local products. And they were using honey from a farm in a valley next to their you know, house. And 
she was so passionate about the story of this company and these people that made it that it didn't even really matter what the product was. She was moved by the people. It wasn't, there was no sales funnel. There, there was no advertising. There were no, there was no marketing. There, you know, it was, there was no marketing in, in a sense that I was used to marketing. And she, and she, and in, in this case, her love of this brand was, wasn't built on one single ad. It was, wasn't built on advertising impressions. It was built on human impressions. And I, so, you know, think about how this might play out in, in, in our world. So today, the market value of Tesla is higher than Ford. I mean, Tesla's been around for, you know, maybe 20 years. Uh, Ford's been around for over 100 years. They've got factories all over the world. But people love Elon Musk. He, you, know, you, you, you love his vision. You're a fan of this man. Who do you love at Ford? Who is the person? What's, where are the human impressions at Ford? Who, you know, who do you believe in? Who do you follow? Who's igniting your imagination at Ford? Nobody. And so I think this is, again, it, it sort of shows the power moving to small businesses like the soap company, like many of the people listening to this show, because you are the brand. And that's what people want to hear. That's what people believe. They want to know who's behind this, who's doing it. They, they want to know a face and a smile and a voice. They want to hear the passion. They want to know why are you doing this? You know why is this important? And 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 that's where the connection is today. More than more than on really on attributes of the products, it's on the attributes of of the individuals. Hmm. Does it mean that personal brands that's going to be stronger, basically, with this assumption? Well, I think that, that that's definitely a trend. It's sort of how my my last two books go together. My, my last book was called Known, how to, how to Build and Unleash Your Personal Brand in the Digital Age. And, um, and, and the book before that was called The Content Code. code. It kind of goes together because the content code, the problem that solved was, well, we live in this really busy world and content is a commodity now. How do you stand out in this noisy, noisy, noisy world? So, so that was the content code. And then the next, the next book known was sort of about, okay, well, as an individual, how do you stand out? Why is it important to have a personal brand today? And the theme of that book was sort of, well, if you're known and your competitors aren't, you have an advantage because you've built this brand. You've, you, you have this emotional connection to uh, your, your, your customers and potential customers that other people don't. So really having this personal brand is one of the few opportunities for competitive advantage we have today. 
Now in, in marketing rebellion, it sort of brings it back again to say, well, not only is building a personal brand important for you, it's important for your company because that's what we, we, we want to know. So the three books is kind of like this evolution of my thinking that um, marketing doesn't work like it used to. It's a super busy, competitive, noisy world. We need new strategies to stand out. And one of those strategies is to highlight the unique qualities uh, of the individuals in our company because people are, you know, people are making <coughs> judgments about our company and our brand based on our warmth, <coughs> excuse me, based on our warmth, based on our competence. And it's really hard to do that through advertising anymore, but maybe people will fall in love with our people that our people are warm and competent and they'll believe in us and give us a chance and, and try our products. Hmm. You talked about the company that wins is the most human company. Well, I think that the, I think the, like Tesla is sort of an example of that, isn't it? Um, and I have lots and lots of case studies and examples in the book where the companies that have the, that, that respect human beings the the company that the companies that that's that stand out today are the ones that are taking a stand that people can believe in um you know i just saw an article yesterday about a company i i feature in the book called uh called everlane and the founder of everlane it's an online um retailer he said we've got to take a stand against Plastic. We're not going to bring. We're not going to use any more like virgin plastic, first level plastic in our businesses. I don't even want it to come into our building. I don't want it in packaging. I don't want it in pallets. I don't want it in pens. I don't want any plastic. And he's just taking this this stand because he he feels very strongly that this is where the world needs to go and he said i don't even know how we're going to do this but we're going to start and when i hear that it's like wow that just shows so much courage and so much vision and leadership and it's a person it's a man who created this company but he's he, he, but that's something that i can be emotional about you know that's better than a coupon that's that i mean that gets your attention right And, and and so now all of a sudden, my emotion, my connection goes with this person because he's being a human being. He's connecting us to us on an emotional level. There, you know, there was a there was a great quote in the book that it was was maybe my favorite quote in the book because it meant so much to me because I start the book talking about why did I get into marketing? It's because I was sitting in a classroom when I was, you know, 19 years old and I opened up this textbook from Dr. Philip Kotler. And he says, marketing is, is a combination of psychology, sociology, and anthropology. And I thought that is the coolest thing in the world. Who would not want to major in that? Psychology, sociology, anthropology. Marketing is all things human. But how many of us really know that or really remember that? For most of us, technology marketing is all things technology, all things 
advertising, but when you really get down to the roots of what we're supposed to be doing and what it's all about, it's all things human. And that was, I don't know how many decades ago, right? I, I, I saw this quote. Well, Philip Kotler is still alive. He's 87 years old and he was on a podcast recently and, he's, and, he, sa and he said, what's missing today in marketing is that human connection. Here he is, 87 years old. He's still guiding us. He's still teaching us. He's still telling us exactly what we need to hear. And he said, marketing needs to be human. It needs to have, businesses have to have a human voice. They have to be authentic. They have to be accessible, even vulnerable. Even vulnerable. Isn't that a powerful world? I mean, he's, he's like pushing us to really, to really be human in our, in our businesses. And, you know, it's funny because I, I, the book was almost finished when I heard this quote from him. And, I, and it was kind of like the stamp of approval on the book from Philip Kotler to say, wow, you know, it's just exactly what I needed to hear. It was the most beautiful thing to say, here, I, here he is, uh, here I am, you know, late in my career. <laughs> And Dr. Kotler is still saying, here's what it's about, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a wonderful ending to a fantastic episode. Thank you, Mark, for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Well, it's pretty easy. I make it easy for people to find me. If you can look for businessesgrow.com, you can find everything about me there. You can find uh, my, uh, my books my blog, my podcast, uh, my speaking, just lots, lots of information, lots of resources. You can find out uh, how to follow me on social media. And I'd love to stay connected to your listeners and have them say hello to me now and then. So businessesgrow.com. Fantastic, Mark. Thank you so much. And I recommend everyone to read the book, The Market Marketing Rebellion, and also the book Known, which was how we first uh, got in episode three. So please go to also to episode three and listen to the other interview. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Mark. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Go to sigma.com forward slash 325. And there you find links to Mark Schaefer and the show notes of this episode. Thank you for listening to The Sigrun Show. Did you enjoy this episode? If you did, please tag me on Instagram with the hashtag Sigrun Show so that I know that you were listening. I'll see you in the next episode.